never build features because competitors have them because you know I'm not solving for the competitor. Uh, it's a classic startup mistake like you know you build it because you know hey the other guy has it and uh, in comparison sheets when you know customers your potential customers prospects throw an excel sheet at you you have to say no uh, so you build that feature you know but that's not the right reason to build it and we have, we've never done that uh, we've never never done it like that like you know, we don't build for competitors we don't optimize or solve for com competition we optimize and solve for our customers Welcome to the playbook. This is a new podcast, which uh, where I have conversations with people who have built things that have had an impact in India. The idea is to get under the hood, uh, get behind the scenes, to understand how people build things in India from India uh, that create some impact. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, I'm really excited to be sitting down with Anand Jain, co-founder uh, of, of Clever Tap. Uh, Clever Tap, I would let Anand describe uh, what it really does, but uh, from whatever I have picked in the startup ecosystem, people refer to it as a very good playbook for building a product, hacking it to a scale. And uh, I have also heard tidbits about uh, stories uh, about you anand in in get you know getting to entrepreneurship from selling soaps to what you are doing now uh, let us start from the start and welcome to the podcast first of all anand sure. <laughs> thank you pankaj uh, it's a pleasure to be here and thank you for kind of inviting me here okay let us start from the start uh, before we get uh, into the playbook uh, side of this conversation uh, tell me where you come from anand and uh, Tell me some of your early entrepreneurial <laughs> adventures, if I may call them. Uh, surely. So I, uh, I was born in Lucknow, uh, in the northern part of India, northeast part of India rather. And I, uh, I grew up in Ahmedabad. And uh, while technically I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm Punjabi, but uh, for all practical purposes, I am, uh, you know, I Gujarati. I identify myself like, you know, I, from the thinking of Gujarat. And that's where I, you know, growing up, uh, learned a lot of uh, lessons, business lessons, life lessons, uh, things like that. Uh, so that's where I'm from. Uh, early entrepreneurial lessons uh, uh, started very early. Like, you know, I uh, lost my dad when I was all of 12 years of old, uh, age. Uh, and then uh, there was a scam. And I was not, a, I was not a very sharp uh, kid. I was not very bright academically. But I would, uh, you know, find ways to make money, a quick buck. Here and there, and uh, one of the earliest things was uh, selling soap door to door. So I would, you know, get uh, uh, waste from a, a detergent factory, a very popular brand in India, uh, package it together as that soap, and I would sell it. So that was one of my early days. I also uh, uh, would sell, uh, you know, later on in my life, I also uh, sold uh, modems and uh, the Netscape Navigator browser uh, back in the mid 90s. So 96, 97 is when I sold that. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur on and off. Uh, uh, my uh, stint before CleverTap was uh, founded a startup called Burp, uh, a restaurant review portal. Uh, that was in 2006. Uh, and we exited to uh, Network 18 uh, in 2009. And then I was there with Network 18 for like four years and started CleverTap in 2013. Mm -hmm. So that's, turn, that's the journey from selling soap to software. 
And uh, the reason I am not ashamed of telling this journey to anyone that cares to listen is because you believe in the power of impossible. You believe in the power of your own dreams. Uh, so, Pankaj, that's the story. <laughs> I, I know that's, that's just the headline. <laughs> there is a lot more. Uh, and I think we will get back to the roots uh, question because one of the things I have realized is uh, what we do today uh, somewhere acquire, gets it rooted long back in our life and, and careers. So I'm hoping to hear the connections of things, uh, the values that you learned or the skills that you acquired early in your life. How did you apply in, in the current job? It would be interesting to make that yeah, connection. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great, great question. Uh, and uh, this truly kind of comes from, you know, how I grew up, as I said, like, you know, my thinking is very much uh, Gujarati thinking. And uh, uh, a few lessons that I learned very early on in my life, like coming from a kind of lower middle class background, were that it's very easy to spend money, but it's extremely hard to earn money. Uh, you don't require like a, you know, a degree in whatever, like, you know, advanced sciences or whatever, like you know how to spend money, right? Uh, but to earn money is very hard, number one. Number two, uh, uh, retaining customers, right? Uh, for example, a lot of uh, Gujarati businessmen, like, you know, they're industrialists, etc. Like, you know, not too many from the, in the service class. They're tra traders of some sort, right? Retaining customers is a special skill again, like, you know, you got to be loyal, you got to make sure that, you know, your, your customers are well cared for. Uh, and then it's a special skill to kind of retain them, like, you know, make them feel loved and accepted and whatnot, right? Uh, and frugality. Uh, again, not frugal to the point of being thrifty, but frugal to the point of saying that, okay, I, you know, again, it goes back to the spending money part. Uh, is it really necessary to kind of spend the money that we, we can? Like, you know, can we punch above our weight class? using less money, can we be more, rather, you know, there's a better word for it, it's called being resourceful. Uh, can we be more resourceful as opposed to throwing resources at the problem? And some of these are very early lessons. Uh, uh, growing up, uh, you know, I didn't have access to a lot of money. Uh, my mom would kind of, uh, she ran a like tailoring shop uh, after my dad kind of passed away. And uh, every time she would, uh, you know, tailor something. For example, if you stitch a fall to a sari, uh, you get two rupees. Uh, and uh, a shirt would cost you 50 rupees back then, right? So you know that you have to do that 25 times, like, you know, to earn one shirt. So if I needed a new shirt, like, you know, and, and that would take like an hour for mom to do that, right? So th this teaches you the value of things, right? So very early on, I kind of learned that lesson and that the not having too much money also helped me because I uh, taught myself how to kind of, you know, open up electrical stuff in the house, whether it was a refrigerator or the fan, uh, sometimes the TV also took the brunt of my kind of, uh, you know, experiments, experimentation rather. So taught myself how to repair, fix electrical stuff first, then uh, electronics. I graduated to electronics, started fixing cordless phones and VCRs, you know, of uh, people in the neighborhood. Uh, and then graduated to kind of uh, learning uh, how to write code, software. So self-taught uh, engineer. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I was kind of, you know, I, I mean, growing up, these, these are the things like, you know, when you don't have too much money, you don't have too many like, friends, uh, because you're always uh, conscious of your class, uh, you know, with them. And anytime you go out with friends, like, you know, there is some sort of like, you know, the, you need money, you need a you know, vehicle to go around. I used to drive a Luna back then, so it was not this status symbol, like, you know, you'd rather not go with your friends, college mates. Uh, so, <laughs> so I was home all the time. And I don't like to read, so I try, try to like teach myself by doing things. And that's how I learned electrical stuff. That's how I learned electronics. And then finally software. 
So uh, thankfully, because of mom, I had access to a PC way back in, I think it was year 1996, uh, is when I got my first desktop computer. It was a 386 machine uh, with a 387 coprocessor. And uh, it costed my mom 70,000 rupees. So now that you understand the maths, like I was telling you about earlier, she had saved that money to buy our house. Uh, and uh, I kind of fought with her like a young kid would. And I had her spend that money to buy me a PC. I had absolutely no idea what I would do with that PC. It was just that I would be the coolest kid around. And people would come and neighbors would come and they would try and find out like, you know, what's happening. You know, hey, what's this computer thing? Like, you know, what are you going to do with it, etc. And I would show off by playing games on that. But eventually, like, uh, you know, you learn software. So that's what I did. So a lot of my software learning comes from that machine, man. <laughs> Fascinating, Anand. Thank you. Uh, and, and now I understand uh, what you meant by doing things frugally. And these are all the values that get ingrained when you are building a startup, that's even correct. as an entrepreneur. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So when we did, uh, for example, CleverTap, and we started CleverTap 2013, we had, uh, so the three founders we are from, you know, we met at Network 18. I went to Network 18 through my acquisition. Sunil had just come back from the US to give his in kids an India flavor. And Suresh was in Bangalore, like, you know, very smart guy, IIT, Madras and all. And he, he, uh, he got married uh, and his wife relocated to Mumbai and he was kind of looking for a job. So that's where we met in Network 18. Uh, and we had well-paying jobs, like, you know, we were like senior guys, we had like, the company car, uh, all the perks. Uh, but once we kind of quit Network 18 and we started off, uh, we, our budget for an office was 15,000 rupees. Now, for those who are familiar with Mumbai, know that uh, 15,000 rupees in Mumbai doesn't get you far uh, or near. It gets you far. It gets you really far, actually. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, it gets you really far. And uh, uh, so, we, I went to Kunal of Free Charge and I said, hey, I want to use your office. I'll hijack one of your uh, meeting rooms and use that, you know, for the three of us. And that's what we did, like, you know, for one. And I told him, like, you know, after I get my first round of funding is when I'll move out. Uh, so I, we, the three of us parked ourselves in Kunal's uh, office and uh, once they relocated, like, you know, we relocated along with them. Uh, so we were that kind of, uh, kind of pests, if you will. Uh, but that was frugal, like, you know, it's not that we didn't have money to spend. It was like, you know, we have to earn these things, right? So it, it is like, you know, for that stage of the company, you are an unfunded startup. Like you might have money in the bank, but unless you kind of figure out, like, do you really deserve an office, right? Do you deserve to be in this stage of life? is when you, I mean, that's the question you should ask yourself, right? Uh, and uh, if you do not deserve it because you don't have a product, you don't have like, you know, you've not like kind of have a customer, etc. You go, you know, borrow, you know, offices or whatever space from your friends. And that's what we did. Now take me through the journey of uh, building Clever Trap mm -hmm. as, as a product. Uh, take me through uh, the early lessons early failures, successes? It's a very open question. No, absolutely. But the idea is to really capture the playbook. Uh, so, so take me through those uh, important milestones or unimportant ones that mattered later. I sure. don't know. Sure. You will know much better. Sure. Take me through that journey. Sure. So we, you know, we quit Network 18 and we, uh, we first quit Network 18 and we said, okay, let's kind of do something. So what are some of the interesting problem statements that we want to work on? And one of the things was that uh, the amount of data that the phones will kind of spew out is going to grow exponentially. And uh, marketing teams, etc., won't have 
the mental or the physical bandwidth to sit down and kind of you know segment users or group users by their behavior, things like that, right? I mean, you can't sit down and process these massive amounts of data. You need you need, and you need a solution for kind of uh, uh, the new age, like you know that can process all this data. Again, attention spans are reducing, so you need something that not only processes all this data in real time, but also gives you an option to kind of reach out to users in real time. So we started with that hypothesis. We looked around. We said, you know, hey, it's 2013. There must be products out there that solve this. And maybe we can build on top of that. Uh, unfortunately, there was nothing out there. Or fortunately, like, no, there was nothing out there. And that's when the three of us decided to uh, build this technology that uh, is what powers Clevertap today. So the process of building that was like, you know, there are three engineers who have never kind of held the marketing function or who don't, you know, kind of understand some other departments like, you know, of the company. So we said, let's approach it from a product building engineering kind of solution, right? I mean, we've been engineers for a long period of time. Sunil and I have been CTOs, uh, you know, different places in, in our lives. Uh, Suresh is kind of fairly technical, obviously, like, you know. Uh, so we started with kind of building this, uh, sorry, we started building this database that's kind of real time and whatnot. And then we, as we started talking to some of the prospects, we realized that, you know, marketing automation is the kind of space that we should go after. Uh, and we started building, again, again, my kind of, uh, one of the startup principles is that you can't sell half a car, like, you know, I can't say, hey, Pankaj, like, you know, I've made a brilliant car, except for it's missing one wheel, so why don't you pay me three-fourths of the price of the car and drive off with it, because you won't be able to drive the car. Similarly, if, if we've built the product, but if it's not quite ready yet, right, if it's not kind of fully baked out, then you would not, like, I can't charge you for that. So one of our first lessons of building kind of, you know, of doing this was uh, we found a, a friend, again a friend, like, you know, uh, Ashish of uh, Book My Show, and we said, hey, you know, we've got this cool thing that we're working on, would you be willing to give it a shot? And he was okay, like, you know, he said, like, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. And I said, but don't bet your life on it, like, you know, this is like beta software, this is alpha quality software, it's not even beta, beta software, right? So it may work, it may not work, like, you know, we're still building it. So just put the JavaScript on your website and, you know, let's see what happens. And then my code got uh, code reviewed by like a 20 something, like, you know, because he couldn't trust my code. Uh, so anyway, that's a side story, but, uh, but that's what we did, like, you know, so we started monetizing the platform two years after we first gave it away to a friend to kind of, you know, try out the product. And we kind of got that feedback, like, you know, and then we did a few more, like, you know, we got feedback from that. And that is very essential, right? We call this the co-creation model. That means you build the product, but not for them, but with them. Uh, so get, like, I mean, this is, you know, advice for some of the early stage startups also, like, you know, go find your early customers, but don't sell them a half a product. Say, you know what, are you willing to try this out? Like, you know, hey, I've built this and I'll build along with you. I will not build it for you because then you're doing a service model, right? Then you're saying, well, I'm a consulting guy and I'll just build this thing for you. So I won't build it for you, but you tell me your requirements. And if it's in the realm of what I want to build uh, in the end, like, you know, we'll kind of take in those features, abstract it, and we will add it to the product stack. And that's what we did. Uh, it's like five and a half years now. In May, we'll be six-year-old company. Uh, but some of the lessons early on was like, you know, uh, listen to your customers. There will be several articulated needs like you know, they know what they want and they'll tell you like you know hey mr vendor like you know miss vendor uh, you know why don't you you have all my data why don't you do this but the more interesting things are the unarticulated and unmet needs uh, they may not even know what they don't have or what they what they may need and they may not be able to articulate that 
and that's what you got to keep your ears open to listen to that and come back and then build it. How, how, uh, and that's a very important point you're mentioning. How do you, uh, this balance between adding features to a product, like what customer yeah, may yeah. or may Absolutely. not want. Absolutely. It, I have uh, heard this from different departments or functions from engineering to design to founder uh, absolute war room it becomes right <laughs> <laughs> so how do you as you add new features new capabilities how you decide which ones to actually add or which ones not how do you make that decision yeah so i i mean uh, you know for those who are listening uh, you probably don't know me i have the benefit of a few gray hairs on my head <laughs> and sunil has a little bit more than me uh, you get this by experience like you know unfortunately when you have, when you're in the early stages of your startup or product building and you only have, say, three customers or three people who kind of taken a bet on you and when one of them tells you, hey, I need this thing, you would be very happy to please them, like, you know, kind of build that for them. And this is the difference between building for them and building with them. Uh, you come back and you say, okay, well, you know, how many more people would have a need for this? Is it one in the, uh, I would not even call it a roadmap, like, you know, in the realm of things that I want to build, right? And this is again not a very articulated vision like you know when you're kind of very young in your startup uh, yeah there might be some people who know exactly what they want to go where they want to go what they want to build uh, but a lot of us you know don't know like you know how it is going to look and i may not sound like a very kind of inspiring leader <laughs> or a founder but that's how it goes like you know not you may not know where this is, ship is headed like you know in terms of finally five years from now ten years from now kind of things uh, but the ability to bring it back, like deep dive, understand, like, you know, bring it back to the table and then go back to your experience or go back to some other people, like, you know, for example, the other two customers in, in that earlier example I was telling about, like three or four customers and say, like, you know, hey, would a feature like this, would you use it? And this is not just, you know, hey, would you use it? Because the answer is always yes. It's like, you know, how would you use it? Like, you know, what would it solve for you if I were to build this feature? And that's the moment of truth, like, you know, in which you would separate out the nice to have from the must-have and take all the must-haves. Must Again, these are early customers, like, you know, they've taken a bet on you. Uh, they expect the road to be a little bumpy, like, you know, not everything is, you know, it's not that they don't have the money to go buy the best product in town. It is not that they, uh, you know, they're doing you a favor, etc. like, you know, they're just taking a bet on you and you're taking a bet on them, saying that, you know what, I'll make something incredible that you will finally, you know, eventually uh, like. Can uh, you? Illustrate this with one or two examples of CleverTap itself in terms of features and capabilities, the way they were added or the way you perhaps killed some of the features. Can you put some anecdotes here? Sure. I'll use a recent feature. Uh, it's called uh, RFM. Uh, RFM stands for recency, frequency and monetary value. And you basically take uh, a list of users or you know a group of users and you plot them on a recency frequency matrix, right? So on the y-axis, you have, you know, people, uh, how recently have you seen these people? You give everyone a score of 0 to 5. And on the x-axis, you have the frequency of, you know, how, recent, how frequently do you see them in a certain time period. And recency frequency is not, we didn't invent this. It's been, you know, it's, it's a very old kind of uh, statistical model used, you know, by traditional companies to measure, uh, you, know, uh, you know, their recent customers, their frequent customers, things like that. Uh, but one of our customers told, one of our kind of, you know, clients told us that, hey, uh, hey, Anand, you have all my data. Why couldn't you kind of, you know, sh I mean, I don't want, I do this by hand. Like, you know, it takes us two weeks to kind of compute all of this because we got to normalize. 
uh, you know, visits, we got to normalize uh, frequency, whatnot. Some customers kind of show up once a week, some show up once in three months, some are kind of very, very frequent. Uh, and uh, why don't you kind of, you know, you have all this data for me, and why don't you kind of uh, bring out all the kind of uh, customers that uh, spend, you know, good amount of money with me who are recent and frequent, right? And, uh, and you can call them brand champions, right? So for example, if someone, let's say, you know, I'm the cab company and there are recent customers, that means I took a cab early this morning, today morning, and also I'm a frequent customer, that means I've taken, you know, five rides in the last three days, and I've also spent like, you know, uh, 1200 rupees uh, on the ride. So I'm like, I love the brand, like, you know, that means I kind of depend on this taxi company for all my needs, all my travel commuting needs. Uh, this guy is a brand champion. Uh, so this is a feature that we kind of, you know, uh, built because and what we took the input, we triangulated with a few others and we built this. Uh, and today it's one of our most popular features uh, because one, it looks pretty. Uh, two, it also, also works like, you know, because you can click on the champions and you can just say, hey, I'm going to send them a notification. I'm going to send them a, like, a, you know, hey, rate my app on the Play Store uh, or something like that. Or just thank them. Is there a feature or capability that didn't work? And, and, and why? Can you also talk about you can pick anyone. I, I imagine in your journey, there would have been... Few. No, there have been, yeah, exactly. So there have been a lot of requests, a lot of kind of deep requests that have come to us. For example, uh, uh, one of them is uh, the ability to, hey, uh, clever tap, like, you know, why don't you do this thing? Why don't you, uh, when you're sending a, a message to the user, why don't you come look up my database, pick up an item and send it to the user? And we said, well, clearly this is a bad idea because... Uh, Customers, like different customers have different uh, databases, like you know, there's like a whole bunch of databases. Your catalog might be different and we need to under, we need to have a lot of domain experience or domain knowledge of your business to be able to do that. So we said, you know what, you know, uh, we will not build this and a lot of my e-commerce customers didn't like it. But now we're bringing it back like, you know, with a twist. So we having them upload a catalog and we, uh, you know, so that recommendation feature is also live now. But it took us two years to kind of figure out how to do it properly. Like, you know, we did not rush into it uh, while continuing to build features, but we didn't want to kind of solve it in a half-assed way. Like, you know, we wanted to make sure what we build is solid. Uh, again, this is, these are product building lessons. A uh, lot of, lot of uh, product builders out there or startups out there, they build a feature because uh, it, the competitors have it. Uh, some of them build it because they think it's cool. Uh, some of the others build it because, you know, that's like, you know, one customer told them. I think those are wrong reasons to build it. Like, you know, you got to figure out, like, you know, that a wide majority of your customers will, one, appreciate this feature. They'll use it, not just appreciate because you've built it, you know, and it doesn't cost them, but because it's, uh, it's usable and it makes a difference in their business. Like, you know, it either helps them cut time, cut the number of people, like, you know, the complexity in their business or helps them earn revenue. Right, two or three metrics, like you know, very simple, like you know, if it helps them kind of go build it, but applicable to a wide variety of customers, not just you know a few of the customers. You're making a very very important point, Anand. I think so. so un until uh, you have a feature that really solves a problem, don't don't build, build it. it. We've never built features because competitors have them. Because you know, I'm not solving for the competitor. Uh, it's a classic startup mistake. Like you know, you build it because you know, hey, the other guy has it. And uh, in comparison sheets, when, you know, customers, your potential customers, prospects throw an Excel sheet at you, you have to say no. Uh, 
so you build that feature, you know. But that's not the right reason to build it. And we've we never done that. Uh, we've never, never done it like that. Like, we don't build for competitors. We don't optimize or solve for com competition. We optimize and solve for our customers. Makes sense. Uh, one of the phases uh, in a product or a startup that people talk about is this whole thing about value of death. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, when <laughs> you have achieved a certain product market fit, uh, you're generating revenues. Correct. And then you kind of uh, hit a plateau. And you, the danger of going through a valley of death and coming up and then Correct. finding your Correct. own hockey Correct. stick or whatever. What is that equivalent in your product journey? Has there been one? What was it? And how was navigating that valley of death? Yeah, well, thankfully, we've not had that uh, valley of death, if you will. Uh, the first two and a half years of our life, we were busy building the product. And thankfully, we were able to convince some good investors to, you know, we have Axel and Sequoia on the board uh, to, to give us the bandwidth to build it out fully. As I said, you can't sell three-fourths of a car, right? And our minimum viable was the car. It was not the, in, in the automobile or the transportation parlance, it was not the bicycle. It was not like, okay, well, you know, why don't you make a bicycle, then you make the motorcycle and then the car, like, and then the plane. For us, the minimum viable was the car. Uh, we needed to get the analytics the segmentation and the engagement like you know, all together in one product because that would show the true value of Clavita. So the first two and a half years we were building that and there was never really a value of death for us you know in that sense uh, we kind of uh, avoided that. Uh, so two and a half years building the product then we started selling the product if you will at a very low price point and then very quickly we realized that uh, this product is applicable not just to startups but to large enterprises also. Uh, and we st started selling to th those enterprises, right? Along the journey, to make sure that we are not caught up in our own, like, uh, you know, view of the world, like the startup, we, we got some senior guys to come join us in our journey and bring that perspective difference, right? See, if you're a startup founder, I mean, I, the value of death, why does it happen, right? It's because you've achieved a certain product market fit and then you can't go beyond a certain stage of selling, right? Maybe you're selling to SMEs and you want to go enterprise, you can't sell to enterprises. Maybe you're selling to India, and when you want to go sell to the world, you can't do that because the product is, has too many kind of India-specific features, right? Or it's just built for a local audience, right? Uh, fit and polish, for example, like, you know, it's very hard to get fit and polish uh, because, I mean, we Indian guys are very tolerant about things like, you know, so we can tolerate a, you know, like a not that great product, like, you know, we are okay with some, uh, you know, like a mid-level products also. But if you go sell to the Western world, the fit and polish is something that matters a lot, like, you know. Uh, the third value of death is because the founders could not think beyond their mindset and they thought that you know everything's hunky-dory and they did not know how to scale the company. Most of these are first-time founders. They have no experience doing that. And while in the history of startups, there have been a few who have transcended like you know, Bill Gates, the classic example and you know, several others. But it's better to get outside, uh, you know, smart people from the outside, maybe experienced leaders who will come and guide you through it. Uh, so that is how you kind of, you know, that's how we avoided the valley of death. Uh, it's still very early days for us, yeah. so we don't know, like, you know, we'll find out in the next few years. But I think uh, following a few of these principles, we will, we might like be continue, we might continue to kind of avoid the, the valley of death. The other uh, important question on the product is how do you price the product? <laughs> <laughs> how did you price the product? Uh, I mean, clearly there are benchmarks in the industry available. We look at similar products, or anything that comes close to it. But take me through that 
playbook yeah. of clever tap how yeah. did you yeah. price your product yeah so pankaj we, we don't well I, this will make my you know investors extremely unhappy but we don't look at benchmark reports we don't look at you know hey what are other players in our category thinking how are they pricing i always have you know it's maybe because of my unconventional uh, kind of you know growing up uh, that uh, i look at everything with kind of okay well you know if i had to start like if there was no benchmark how would i do it right uh, so naturally what we did was we said you know what we will uh, okay so there is like couple stories here like you know the early days we were we didn't want to price the product we didn't we were just giving it away for free like so i went to book my show i went to you know a few others and i said you know what this is the product and you know while we were building it with you why don't you kind of try it out and they said sure like you know we'll we'll won't let bet our life on it we won't bet our company on it but you know hey happy to kind of help you around right okay so we had a few of those uh, and that was kind of you know there was no there's no money exchanging hands we didn't want, want to think about pricing uh, one of the founders a very respected guy in in any commerce said anand i don't trust a free product uh, why don't you take some money for it like you know i'll send you a proposal you know, i said i don't know i don't want to think about solving you know for the pricing i want to solve for building the product uh, so he said why don't you you know i'll give i mean take a token amount something man i said i don't want to think about that i honestly don't so I, he sent me a contract i've still not opened it it's still one of these unread emails in my mailbox i do not know whether it promised me like you know a small amount or a huge amount but but when we started pricing the product it was again a black box for us we did not know how to price the product uh, and uh, so what we did was for i think it was uh, i think it was annually 10000 dollars all you can eat plan uh and uh, you know so that is how we started and people would not trust it thankfully no one took up us on that offer because people said there must be something funny they might do something funny to my data and uh, trust me we did not do it back then we don't do it today also right but that was our pricing we just wanted to like try it out no one took that offer so we started pricing the product at like you know like a $1000 a month you know and then we kind of graduated from there uh, the way we do it today is uh, we we have we call this the container model right so we charge you for the amount of data you're going to send us or we hold for you and all your campaigns etc are free uh, today you can kind of that that is a base platform if you wanted to buy the optimized pack so we have packs now it's called we have the optimized pack the discover pack the the corporate pack uh, so there are few packs so if you're a large co like you know and you care about security like you know you want ldap integration or whatever active directory or google auth etc you would buy the enterprise pack or the corporate pack so it's been a journey on pricing it's been a journey on pricing like you know and that's like you know maybe i'll write a blog post about it but this is yeah. a very interesting because if you say hey it's a corporate enterprise product like you know but it's all you can eat people don't trust it and it's a good thing like you know <laughs> but if you say this same product is available for like a you know like a good chunk of dollars like you know people will take you up seriously because they want contracts they want slas they want a msa they want enterprise level you know kind of they want the the high touch they want the touch and feel like you know they are not going to buy a, a enterprise grade product off the internet like one of the million dollar billion dollar or whatever number you want to put question is that how do you avoid underpricing or overpricing a product right i think you partly answered that correct but if you were to pick one or two do's or don'ts on that front what would they be yeah so i would definitely not overprice the product i think how do you uh, know it is overpriced yeah so i think your customers will tell you like you know we start i mean we started that and that's one of the things like you know we kind of advise when i go to you know bangalore and I meet some of these young startups 
I tell them like, you know, hey, price it low, right? It's not because you're trying to beat competition. It's because you're trying to get product adoption. Now, don't try to make it as, you know, I mean, there are some science around, there is a science around product uh, uh, pricing. And there are a few ways to think about it. Like, you know, it's the one of it is like, you know, it's going to cost me 10 rupees to build or $10 to build it. I'll price it at 12 or I'll take a value, a cut of the value that you as a, you know, customer is generating on top of my product, right? So if I help you made X amount of dollars, I'll take a cut of that, things like that, right? So there is, there are, there's a science behind pricing. Uh, the way we approach pricing is, you know what, uh, or the way we now recommend, you know, startups, young startups to do it is like, you know, price it low and, uh, and then increase your prices and see what the threshold of the market is because market will tell you whether you're pricing it too high or low, right? Also, as you build features, as you add more, Again, we are we're building a SaaS product, right? So it's a, you know, it happens to be in the enterprise space. Uh, you got to deliver on the features. You got to keep the innovation kind of going. So as you build those things, increase the prices, right? And you will, you will discover your natural equilibrium. Uh, all right, because at that point of time, you'll start losing deals or you'll start uh, kind of, you know, not getting invited to some of the, the parties. Like, you know, if, if someone's buying, looking for a solution and you don't get invited, like, you know, and they, have, they know about you, probably price too high. Again, it depends, right? Like if uh, it depends what market segment are you targeting, uh, the maturity of that segment, things like that, right? So if you're telling, selling to telcos, they probably expect like a higher price point. But if you're selling to the medium, small and medium SME segment, they want like a, you know, very easy to use online kind of product. They don't want a high touch. If you show up wearing a suit to their office, they probably get put off, like, you know, turned off. Okay. They won't buy from you. So that's like, you know, that's what we do. But philosophically, we believe in leaving a little bit of money on the table. We don't try to squeeze the last dollar from our customers because we believe that if you leave some money on the table, right, it leaves the other person a good taste in their mouth. Actually, both parties feel awesome because you know that you've left a little. They also know that you've left a little and that it's all kind of fine. You're not trying to wring the last dollar out from the customer. It also makes a great uh, renewal story next year on because, you know, uh, they renew at a higher price point. The money making side of the product. Sure. <laughs> I think that's where we are steering to because everything points at that. What is that playbook uh, in that sense? Also, so you are revenue uh, positive, of course. Are you profitable yet as a company? Uh, yeah, so that's uh, okay. So good question. Like, you know, so two and a half years, uh, last, in fact, three years now. Uh, every year we have done 2.5x growth uh, from the previous year and hopefully this year, not hopefully, hope is not a strategy, I think this year we'll uh, do 2.5x growth also. Uh, so we are making, uh, we are in the double digit millions, uh, can't tell you the exact number. Uh, Even 99 million is double. <laughs> so is 10. So, uh, so somewhere between 10 and 99. So we are like a double digit million uh, dollar company. Uh, we are... Uh, uh, we definitely like, you know, we're not, we're not profitable yet. Uh, and it depends, like, you know, if you want to kind of plow in your cash flow into growth, and that's what we are like, you know, so we are very, as I said, early days. So we have India operations, we've just opened an office in Singapore. Uh, we, we have uh, an office and, uh, you know, about 20 people in the US. Uh, and we're looking for, you know, to kind of establish our presence in, uh, in Europe and Latin America and all that kind of you have to make an upfront investment before you start getting, you know, dollars out uh, from those geographies. And that's why, like, you know, it's, uh, uh, that's why it's not uh, profitable. But what is the broad money-making playbook? Like, at what point in time a product like CleverTab started 
you know, registering revenue. And what were some of the broad uh, lessons that you, you know, uh, derived from that whole playbook? What are two, three things? So the money-making uh, uh, part was, as I said, like, you know, earlier, so friends and family kind of got the product for free. They were like, you know, okay, well, this is good, like, you know, and then one day we went back to them and said, hey, you know, we've been using the product for two years, man, so it's time to discuss business. And uh, we started charging them fair market value for the product. Like, you know, we, of course, gave them a little friends and family discount, but the conversation was serious. Like, you know, hey, you use the product. If you were using it in your personal capacity, no problem, but you're using it in the business and uh, you know we will charge you for it it's as simple as that right and thank you for not going to competition because i think we have a better product because we've built it with you right uh, and we are responsive like that uh, so again like you know we graduated from selling to startups and anyone who would that would care to buy from us all the way to now serious enterprise level customers uh, some of the largest brands in uh, in the apac slash europe region are our customers and uh, we sign, uh, you know, uh, some of our deals are multi-million dollar deals for multiple years. So it's gone from, hey, pay as you go, like, you know, $100 a month, all the way to now several, like, tens of thousands of dollars a month uh, over, you know, several years. So how, so this question about, I'm sorry if I'm sounding too simplistic. No, please. How sorry. do you make people pay for your product is... Uh, how, how did that question get answered? Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, okay. Cool. So this is, yeah, yeah. So this is easier like uh, than I thought. Uh, it's easy because we are, we are a replacement brand. Like, you know, we, we, most of my customers, most of my today's customers, they have an existing, uh, or they had an existing kind of uh, solution and they were unhappy with it because it was not built for today's uh, data volume growth, number one. Number two, they were using some sort of uh, archaic solution not very, uh, you know, kind of attuned to today's, again, needs of the world. And uh, they were not very happy with it. Like, you know, the, 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 comp the products that were, they were using did not keep up, like, you know, did not listen to their customers, things like that. Uh, as I said, like, you know, we built with the customer co-creation and, and all that. So uh, when we go in, we show them the product. So one of the things that we kind of uh, do is we rarely do slides. Uh, we, sh we show the product. So we have a demo account and uh, I've done, uh, one of my colleagues tells me that I've done about uh, 4,000 plus demos uh, in the last three years. <laughs> that's an insane amount of demos I've done and that's what I've done. I'm the demo record holder of CleverTap. So uh, the way we lead is we show the demo of the product and people instantly connect like, you know, like, oh yeah, okay, so this is like the other thing that we have, but this is a lot more cooler, right? Because it's real time and, you know, it's a lot more cleaner to use. And it uses, you know, machine learning, blah, 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 whatever, right? So it, they may want, like, you know, at the end of their contract cycles, they don't renew with their existing products. They kind of come to CleverTap. And so that's the, that's one of the things, like, you know, that's how we get into the account. Now, how do we show them value is because in the product, right, since we, we work with a lot of these fast-growing, digitally native consumer companies, right, cap sharing and streaming apps and telco, telcos these days also, like, you know, fast-moving uh, you know, B2C kind of uh, apps, right? Uh, we show, the dashboard shows value to them. Like, you know, hey, you were able to segment the users, like, you know, based on the behavior, you were able to send notifications, and uh, you, were, you were able to get your users to subscribe because you sent a notification. Uh, and to remove that ambiguity, we've recently launched a feature, it's called Real Impact. So in CleverTap dashboard, if you go, you know, one of the drop-downs, you select Real Impact, and you see how much, money did I earn 
from all the campaigns I've been sending, like, you know, did it cause people to uninstall the app or be put away from, off my brand? Or did I earn money from it? Did it increase MAUs, monthly active users? It's one click away in the dashboard. So that's how we kind of prove value to them. We don't go in, we don't take a cut off the top. So we don't say like, you know, we'll take 10% of every dollar you generate. Uh, we, it's a fixed price in a few will uh, contract. Uh, and uh, they, uh, the, the way we kind of measure value is the renew. And so far, every customer of significance has renewed back with us. That's yeah. good to know. Uh, final couple of points. What has been the hiring playbook for you? I mean, and what role does it play in early to mid to late stage product development? Yeah. No, again, a very good question. Uh, in the early years, uh, you basically go back to your, you know, your network. Uh, so for CleverTap, it, we were lucky, like, you know, I was the founder of a previous startup and, uh, you know, a couple, three phone calls and I got most of my crew back. So people, in fact, some of them had turned entrepreneurs, they had moved on uh, and they came back and they said, hey, Anand, like, you know, we, we, we want to continue where we left off last. So I'll send a notice to my customers, give them a month's notice and I'll wind off my operations and I'll come join you. So we were very lucky to kind of work with the old crew back then. Again, like, you know, you, we work with familiar people. But for people who are starting for the first time, like, you know, it's like, go find people that uh, you go, well, one, go find generalists, not specialists, like, you know, find people who can do a variety of things. So one of the, you know, the IT guys, Sunil and I kind of, he has worked with us in the past, he's still with us. Uh, Sunil is my other co-founder. So our criteria was, hey, if we put a, if we make this guy wear a jacket, will he be able to go do sales? And we were both like, yeah, he'll, he's the IT guy, like, you know, but hey, he can do sales also because he just speaks good English is, you know, uh, and with a jacket, it looks like the, you know, he can play the part of being a sales guy. So we said, okay, he's in, like, you know, <laughs> so you need generalists, like, you know, people who can do a variety of things. Early days, again, all of us did customer success as well. We did not have a department. So all engineers, so again, the first early crew for CleverTap was all engineers and we all did success. So as we kind of gave out the product for free, no problem, but we would service them fully, right? They can call us, WhatsApp us, whatever, like, you know, we are available all the time to make sure that they are not, our customers are not suffering, right? Uh, Mid-stage is, uh, you start building some of these uh, um, capabilities, right? You start hiring people for marketing or you start specializing the early group into marketing saying that, hey, you two guys, like, you know, from tomorrow you'll kind of take care of marketing, right? Or blogs on the website. Uh, you start, uh, you know, getting product thinking, like, uh, and things like that, right? Uh, again, you can, uh, graduate up the, the old crew or you can hire from outside like you know I think I'm uh, I'm not a firm believer in either one of the approaches it is not that you know it's only like people from within can go up like you know you can hire people from outside also right uh, and in the later stages of your journey you need specialists man you need like super specialists you don't need journalists you need people who have uh, you know in marketing for example people who have done ABM like you know account based marketing like you know specialists of that people who have than inside sales for Europe. So you don't get a generally smart guy and say, hey, why don't you solve for X? Like, you know, you get a person who's done it, been there, uh, and then you check them for the culture fit. Will this guy come in and boss around or will he guy, you know, so again, like, you know, I have a few philosophies, very strong philosophies on that. And I call it the team versus family uh, kind of thing, right? Uh, unfortunately, you can't decide your family, like, you know, so if you have, your cousin is a jerk, you can't decide, you know, whether he's going to be part of your family or not. Well, they, they're still going to be part of your family, right? Even if you don't want to meet the guy. But team always plays 
for a specific objective. So team gets together now, whether it's football or cricket or whatever, like and there's a specific objective and you get to choose your teammates or the team chooses you. In either case, it's for a common objective, for a collective objective, right? And if the team wins, everyone wins, right? So when India won the World Cup, Cricket World Cup, like, you know, even the 12th man, like the guy who very drinks, you know, to the players also was part of the team picture, like team photograph. Uh, so that's what a team is. Uh, so later stages, you need like a lot of culture fit. Again, culture fit comes from early days, but culture is kind of uh, a little amorphous back then. Like, you know, it's kind of getting formed. In the later stages, you need people who will kind of fit into the culture. Uh, so, a more final note. Across these changes in terms of the DNA of the organization, in terms of the life stage of the company, generalists and then specialists and then other things as well. How do you balance these? Uh, you can't just wish away, you know, generalists yes. one, one fine morning because now you need specialists. Correct. What I'm trying to understand is through the life stages, how do you make sure the DNA is intact and then the product is also intact? Of course, whatever capabilities it needs. So how do you balance all this yeah and that's the holy grail man we, you know not uh, there is no i wish i had like a very nice easy crisp answer for this right uh, you will have journalists and they were the ones that took a bet on you right they left their probably good paying jobs or whatever other opportunities in the market they joined you and now you can't wish them away you can't say like hey too bad man like you gotta move on right uh, this is done again through education by making them aware uh, as, as founders or as a founding team, you got to make people aware that, you know, the company is at a different stage. Again, it never happens on one Monday morning. Like, you know, don't wake up and say, oh, well, we are mid-stage company now, right? Uh, this is gradual and continuous, right? It's like day turning into night. Like, you no, know, it's not a gradual change. I mean, it's, it's sorry, it's a gradual change. It's never a sudden change, right? Uh, so you got to make people aware that, hey, you know what? Earlier you were the, you know, you were required or you were responsible for a lot of things, now you'll be only responsible for a smaller set of things, right? And that's when they kind of, you know, start focusing the energies on that, you know, the niche thing. Uh, for example, you know, in the early days, I was the marketing guy, like, you know, my Twitter handle was marketing, I would write the blog post, I would, you know, I would also be the engineer, like, you know, so, you know, then I would write code, I'd also kind of go do prospecting, selling, you know, because, hey, I, you know, someone called me from wherever, like, you know, say, hey, Anand, can you come over, like, you know, we want to discuss Clevertap, you know, with you and I would show up. Uh, but now we have like, you know, sales guys, we have marketing, we have engineering, right? So there are specific functions now and the generalist now has to do something very specific. So it's, it's you know, there's no crisp answer for this. Like, you know, it, it involves kind of real, making people realize that it's not the same anymore. And it's okay, like, you know, a lot of people will say, hey, it's not the same anymore. Uh, in the early days, we were the five of us or seven of us or 10 of us. And I never had to fill up a, a form on the website. Like, you know, I never had to kind of apply for a leave. So now that we are 150 people, like, you know, why do we have to do this? Like, you know, hey, I'm part of the early days. No, sir, you're not. You were, yes, of course. But, you know, you got to like, you know, the rules, you get policies, you get processes. And um, again, one uh, analogy I'll use, an automobile analogy, is uh, a bicycle is not that complex. Like, you know, it's a very simple machine. You know, there's like two wheels and there's a chain that connects and there's a pedal that connects the chain and, you know, it can be off. And the bicycle does a phenomenal, it's very efficient, doesn't require any fuel, and it's a very easy, like, you know, you know, looking at a bicycle, whether, you know, you can ride it or not. Uh, the plane, on the other hand, is a very complex machine, a lot of moving parts, etc., right? Uh, 
and it's incredibly complex to make it's incredibly complex to fly but it travels a lot farther in a very short amount of time so your startup will go from being a bicycle like the simple life you know easy everything no you don't have to have office timings you know everyone kind of knows what the the agenda for the day is all the way to like you know where it's going to be a complex machine different departments there might be silos there might be people who don't know what the other guys you know like someone told me he was complaining the other day hey anand i don't even know some of the new guys in the office i'm like okay that's not a bad thing man uh, you should go introduce us yourself but you know hey it's like we're growing it's a good sign it's a sign of growth uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing we're not trying to be a 15 people company we're trying to be like you know a company that's valuable to our customers to our investors and even to the employees right and that's that's growth for you final question <laughs> yes please yeah <laughs> give me a sense of uh, clever tabs scale uh, and i'm not referring to the revenue <laughs> double digitally <laughs> but either in terms of users or complexity uh, and and give me a sense of where do you see the product in 3 to 5 years in whatever way you can yeah surely so i'll start with the scale of clever tab we are about 125 plus uh, people company uh, spread across uh, three primary geographies india uh, singapore and the us in us we are spread across six locations uh, in india we are spread across three locations and then we have you know one guy in uh, based out of london so kind of fairly spread out uh, in terms of geographical coverage uh, in terms of uh, number of customers we have around 500 uh, customers globally we have so these are 500 enterprise customers we have a massive long tail of apps that use us so you know in the early free days or the freemium days uh, we had a lot of sign ups people would sign up on the website and start using clever tab so we are shipped in about 8000 apps globally uh, of them the 500 are the the enterprise uh, grade customers and uh, we process an insane amount of data every single day uh, we process i believe about uh, 20 billion data points we ingest 20 billion data points every single day and uh, the clever tab sdk is kind of present across 1.5 billion devices so these are some of the numbers <laughs> uh outside where, of where do you see yourself in 3 to 5 years 3 to 5 years i think this is uh, again uh, we have super excited there's a lot of possibility i think we we believe and everyone tells us that like you know that you've achieved like in terms of product a lot right the the cadence or the velocity of product building is extremely high and i want to keep it like that uh what i see is that the 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 app ecosystem or the whole mobile ecosystem the wearable devices you know there's a lot of stuff happening very exciting things happening right and we will continue to grow into that so 3 to 5 years i believe like you know we'll be somewhere near the top in as as a market leader not just in india but globally uh and uh, with the triple digit million dollar revenues uh right and uh, spread across uh, all geographies like you know so today we have some market leadership in certain categories for example in the ott space in the media streaming apps we are a market leader uh, in the ride share hearing uh, space we are a market leader but i want to be a market leader in all other spaces also all of the verticals also god speed and inshallah you will get there thank you very much thank you i really enjoyed this conversation thank you thank man. you pankaj thank, thank you. you thank you thanks man